All right, my friends, just a moment of your time before we get into today's Live Inspired podcast. Here we go. Something cool that is happening more frequently going forward is that as I prepare to share my story on stages, I'm not known to that audience as a speaker, and I'm not known usually to that audience as an author. Instead, a whole lot of the ladies and gentlemen in the room are already following me and our work through the Live Inspired podcast. They're listening, in other words, to this voice right now through their own channels. Very cool. We've had more than a million downloads, as you know. It's a top 20 iTunes show, as you may know, which is very cool. But it also means that a whole lot of ladies and gentlemen are unaware of my number one national best-selling book. It's where I encapsulate in so many regards, the best of our story. It's called On Fire. It's a worthy read. It's been celebrated by Brene Brown and Dave Ramsey, Joe Buck, a whole lot of other luminaries who have talked about the impact of this book and their lives. It also has received more than 1,500 five-star reviews online. It's an awesome read that has very little to do with this guy's voice or the man who wrote it and everything to do with the reader with the impact in the reader's life and ultimately what it does for us professionally, what it does for us relationally, spiritually, relationally, and in every aspect of our life that actually matters. It's called On Fire. It is available. But rather than sending you to your nearby bookstore today, what I'm encouraging you to do right now is to let your fingers do the walk and come on over to johnolearyinspires.com forward slash free. This is a gift. I want you to be able to check out the first two chapters of On Fire. So come on over to visit me right now at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash free. You will be lit up. You will be ignited. You will leave the reading on fire with possibility for your your life. And if you want to take another uh, few chapters with you after that, feel free. Be my guest. And if you want to share this story, share this book with your friends, with your family, with your clients or contacts this holiday season. Awesome. I think with all the divisions going on around us in our community, with all the reasons for fear and trepidation and anxiety and and nervousness looking forward, why not share a message about love and hope and faith and possibility and the truth that the best is yet to come. You can learn more about all this at John O'Leary Inspires dot com forward slash free. You're going to love it. I look forward to seeing you there. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Jason, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Hey, John. How's it going? Man, it is great. And uh, as you just heard, we are super fired up to have you on our show today. For a few of the listeners who may not yet be familiar with the name Jason Kotecki, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the work you're doing today? Sure. I am a uh, an artist, author, and speaker and uh, I work with my wife, Kim. Uh, we're on a mission to annihilate adultitis in the world. So uh, that's, that's our goal. We've been married for 18 years, and um, we were, we've been working together on this for a long time. And uh, that, basically, that's what we do. So like, it, it's been kind of a fun way to combine my talents and her talents. And um, 
we're just trying to get people to remember some of the magic they had when they were a kid. Yes. And uh, I think, you know, as when we were kids, being grown up seemed so awesome. And then you then you get the bills and the mortgage payments and and all that and it's not. And so we we're trying to to champion people to bring back some of the traits that we all had as kids because they could actually be very helpful to us right. as adults and as leaders and and parents and business owners and all that kind of stuff. So that's what we do. Well, and that's exactly why you're on our show because we, like you in the marketplace of life, we see too frequently where we get beat down and the yep. adultitis uh, takes hold. And it is, it's it's a death sentence once it's on, but I think you have part of the cure, man. So we'll, we'll be talking about that cure today. You are an artist, you are an author, you are a speaker, you're a dad, you're a traveler, you're a whole lot of things, but it did not begin for you, you you weren't born with this courageous heart, if you will. I saw some pictures of you as a child. I heard some of the stories. I've read some of the stuff. You were a little uh, more timid as a kid. Is that accurate? Yeah, I was. Uh, I was probably the shyest kid you ever met. I was the only kid to cry in my first day of kindergarten because I was, you know, f- afraid of this new situation. I I quit t-ball in about five seconds when I got on into the dugout and looked at the bench and saw I didn't recognize any kids. I totally panicked and told my mom I didn't want to play anymore. And uh, yeah, so I was very shy, very scared of new situations. And um, somehow my mom today thinks it's a miracle that I'm a professional okay. speaker. It's ridiculous, but um, it's been a, a weird, interesting journey for sure. You, your weird, interesting journey began in the fine state of Illinois. I know you travel all around the U.S., all around the world today as part of your business. But uh, in the early days of your life, it was Illinois primarily, and the big trip came all the way over to Missouri, where I am from. But but where in Illinois are you from originally? I'm actually from a small town called Peru, which is uh, north central. It's about an hour south of Rockford in the middle of nowhere, pretty Mm -hmm. much. Uh, It's right right where Interstate 80 and uh, 39 intersect. So. Uh, and my wife is from that area too, uh, about 20 minutes away. But yeah, we, we grew up there. We've been in Wisconsin for about 18 years now, but definitely the first chunk was, was Illinois. Well, who, who were some of the main influencers during that first chunk? Who, who were some of the, the artists, if you will, that you looked up to and that you even model your life after today? Who influenced um, you? You know, I, I, I had some really cool teachers and coaches along the way. Um, I think back to my third grade teacher, Mrs. Smith. She was the one who asked me to uh, draw Santa Claus for the school newsletter. Um, and she told me it was because I could draw better than her. Hmm. And now looking back, I don't know if that was actually true, but she sure made me believe it. And I thought that was pretty cool. So she was one of the first people to encourage my art. Um, then I think about like Little League. I had a, I had a coach uh, named Mr. Dawson. And I was a pitcher. Well, I did, did a few things, but I pitched, and I was really good at not walking people, but but that was mostly because I pitched it right down the middle of the plate. Right. So Here, I, this, uh, guys. It was like batting practice, pretty <laughs> right. much. Uh, but he believed that I, like, I was like Charlie Brown. I had gone, I don't know, 20 games in a row without winning a game as a pitcher, and he believed in me and got my first win under him as as coach and you know, it's silly because, you know, I'm not a baseball player. I don't do that anymore. But growing up, you know, those people that believe in you, um, those I, those are s- such important things. That's one of the things sometimes I get to talk to, to teachers and I tell them the most important thing you have to do this year 
is notice something good about one of your students and tell them about it. Mm. I think we underestimate the things we're good at because it normally becomes it's easy for us so we don't we think everyone must be good at it right and i just think we need every once in a while we need people to tell us what we're good at and not in a everyone gets a trophy sort of way but just a legit like this is your talent and i see it in you and i think that can be really inspiring for for young people it certainly was for me well, and the wild thing about that is what we are best at, we don't even see in ourselves because we take it for granted. It's like exactly. breathing. You know, yeah. I'm pretty good at breathing and I don't even recognize that. <laughs> you're an excellent breather, uh, you know, John. You're not the first to say that. So I, I've been told that a lot. I appreciate you following up on what I've been hearing again and again and again from so many people, Jason. You know, I, I today, okay, so as you and I record this, it's the end of a, a fairly long day for me. I've had three presentations. One was to a group of grade school kids. One was to a group of high school young leaders. And the third was to a group of financial advisors and their uh, and their assistants. So we've had a really awesome day locally speaking to a bunch of groups. As I progress through this day, though, I'm recognizing that that, that innate joy that we had as kids slowly erodes with each progressive audience. This morning, mm. these little dudes were lit. They were yeah. seriously on fire. Uh, early, later this, this morning, 10, 11 o'clock, the high school kids, they were great, but arms were crossed, heads were down, attention was certainly wandering all over the place and it wasn't always focused on me. They weren't always in incredibly engaged. And then by the time you come up to the adults, it's even more the same, less participation, mm -hmm. less natural joy. It takes a little bit more to pull it out of them. So my question to you is this, why do you think we begin losing that natural, joyful spirit as we progress through life? Because we all had it, and then we, for the most part, begin to lose it. Yeah, I, that's a good question. I, I think a lot of it is, I think a lot of it is people are, uh, that childlike spirit is sort of snuffed out as we go through school. We're not allowed to be curious. We're taught that we have to have right or wrong answers to everything. Um, when we're really little, you know, everyone says, oh, you can be anything. But then as the more older we get, everyone is like, you need to be more realistic. You need to look at something that's going to pay the bills, like all that sort of thing. And I think we sort of lose track of like what we were just talking about, the things we're really good at and the possibilities of what could be. I mean, when I, heck, when I was in high school, you know, you have to take those tests of like, okay, this is, your aptitude, this is what careers would be good for you. Like there, there was nothing that would have shown what I do now. Like mm -hmm. this is, it's ridiculous. that so this is actually what I get to do for a living, mm -hmm. but it's, it's perfectly suited for me. And it took a lot of trial and error. It took a lot of work, but I think we, we tell our kids as they get older that that's just not, you know, that's not realistic. And so I think that's, I think that's just part of it for sure. Um, and then I think, you know, life, life has a lot of realities and beats you down and, and, um, sometimes cynicism sets in. I think yeah. we see it in the news all the time. It's always downer stories and it's, you know, so I think it can't, can't not take a toll as, as you move along. After your high school, as you move forward into your life, what, what came next for you? <clears throat> Well, I went to uh, Northern Illinois University, um, and I went to study art. Uh, illustration was the emphasis, and that's kind of what I thought I was going to do. I was going to—I loved drawing um, portraits. I loved—I wanted to be a sports illustrator. I wanted to um, paint, like, do movie posters. I don't know if any of your listeners would know Drew Struzan, but they would certainly know his work. He's done 
like the Star Wars posters, the Harry Potter posters, Back to the Future. Like, I just love that guy. Um, and so that's what I thought I was going to do. Um, and but I but I learned I went into art. I, I started learning what I could about that. And then at the same time, um, my faith really started to um, uh, blossom. Um, I had gone to a Catholic school uh, during my childhood, and it was good. But the the downside is is religion was sort of like another subject. So there wasn't really a a big personal connection for me in my faith. And that sort of changed uh, as I got into college, and that kind of that kind of turned me around a little bit and got me more focused on doing uh, whatever I, what I just wanted to use my gifts for mm. God. That was kind of, uh, I didn't really care what it was. And I was just kind of open to listening to what that might be. So I think a lot of us grew up, whether it's Catholic, Christian, temple, whatever it may have been. And then we, we fall away from that as we progress through life. What, what was it about your experience in college that reignited that, that faith and that longing to utilize the gifts that you feel God gave you? Yeah, so I, I went was a part of a, a retreat. It was called uh, Teens Encounter Christ. And I had a friend that was just on me to go to this thing. And of course, I was still like, not big on new situations. So I'm like, yeah, that's never going to happen. And she just, she just kept on me and on me and on me. Finally, she just, she took away all of my excuses one by one. I, my last one was like, oh, I can't afford it. It was like 50 bucks, you know? Mm -hmm. And she said, well, I'll pay for it. And if you don't like it, you don't have to pay me back. And so then I was like, oh, shoot, that was my last one. Um, So I think, but going to that, that, that changed everything for me because there was a group of of peers, but also a group of adults and their talks and, and just to be able to hear people who, uh, where faith was relevant in their life and how much it mattered to them. It just really woke me up to how lost I had been. I didn't even realize it. Um, and I just became extremely grateful, um, for all the the things I'd been given that I'd totally taken for granted. So it just kind of like, you know, like they said, Jesus became a friend on that day. It was, he was just, he went from historical figure, great guy, did a lot of cool things in olden times, but became like, oh, he's real. He's, he's my friend. And that, that was the shift that changed everything. So with your new friend hand in hand, as you move through the college years, what happens after graduating with this, this art degree? Um, well, I, I, uh, I met Kim shortly after my, uh, my uh, tech experience. So we kind of grew up together in a lot of ways. And she went to Northern as well. Um, I graduated. I was, you know, all planned out. I was going to get a, uh, uh, to be freelancer, work on design and illustration. And I did that for about a year. Um, but I had this comic strip that I had been working on in the background that was based off of Kim and I, actually. It was based on these characters I drew for her while we were dating. And it was basically about childhood. It's sort of a, it was like a cross between Peanuts and Calvin and Hobbes, but not not nearly as good as either of them. But that's the best way I can describe the concept. And it was basically uh, about looking at life through the eyes of children. Mm-hmm. And um, I I'd, I'd kind of done it on the side, and I just really felt called that that was something I wanted to pursue. So Kim and I talked about it, and it was. Um, August 8th, 2000 was a couple months after we got married and we decided I was going to put everything else on hold and try to make a go at that. And, uh, she was teaching kindergarten at the time. So we figured out a way to live on that for, uh, five years and just started 
started working towards the dream and I didn't even know what it was at the time and it has changed quite a bit since then, but I just knew that I wanted to use my talents to help ser serve the world and help people kind of rekindle this childlike spirit that I think we lost. So that was kind of that was kind of the start and boy, we had big dreams and big ambitions and we thought we were going to be overnight millionaires and this is going to be so great and uh, of course, as all stories like this are, it's, it was nothing like that, but um, but it, it, it's turned out to be pretty sweet. Well, I think it, it the overnight success is boring. It's not very common. They're typically called lottery winners, and they're broke six months later. Yeah. So I, I'd much rather see a guy or a lady, an organization, awkwardly move themselves forward, find themselves looking back in a much better place than they ever imagined. And as I read about your story with Kim, it seems like that's exactly what's happened for you both. Yeah, it really has. I think um, I think that enthusiasm at the beginning is important because it gives you the energy to start and just to go for it and withstand the early uh, failures. Um, but it's 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 pretty cool. Like I, I just I kick myself every day thinking about I can't believe I get to do this for a living right. and. At the same time, I know how much work went into it. I know how many tears there were, how many times that we just questioned everything. Like, are we stupid? Are we the only ones who see this? Like, um, it, it, it was hard. But I think with everything, Kim and I were just talking about this with our kids. It's like when you look back on your life, you remember the good things and the bad things sort of lose their, their sting. I think that's how... God allows people to have more children than one. As you, if you really remembered how terrible those the first month, the first six months were, no one would ever have another kid ever. Um, but you remember the good things, and the the bad things kind of like fade away. And I think that's true with a lot of things. And especially when I look back at our journey, would I want to relive it now, knowing what I know? Like, ah, oh, I don't, I don't know that I could do that again. But right. I would change anything. And I know you've talked about that with your ordeal, which is way more intense but it, it's I, I agree with you on you you look back you're like I wouldn't change anything because it's all made me who I am today and and one little thing that wasn't there maybe it wouldn't be as good as it is now well and you know you um, I it sounds to me from what I've read and heard uh, in other interviews that you may not read the paper very frequently and you may not watch a whole lot of television and I think what they do a phenomenal job at both the papers and the TV and now social media is to tell us all the things that are wrong. Mm. And uh, if you're always looking for what is wrong, that is all you're going to see. And you're going to start to believe that this is actually the world you live in. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think that's the world that a child lives in. I don't think that's the world of truth. And it's certainly not the one you you portray in the way you move through your life. Talk about adultitis. What What is this disease that we have all uh, that we've all received? Well, what is this all about? Yeah, it's basically what sets in. We Kim and I were trying to figure out a, a word for it when we were when I wrote my first book, and it was like, what is what is it that makes people like stressed out and boring and not fun? And we basically came up with this word adultitis, and that's what it is. It's when you forget what it was like to be a kid. Um, one time, someone told me that. Uh, from a medical condition, it, it literally means swelling of the adult. Um, and I'm like, well, that's about right. Because if you're walking around with too much adult, you're going to have some problems. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's basically, it, it's it's a condition that that you have when you take yourself too seriously, when you lose your, your joy, your zest for life, you stop 
asking questions. You lose that natural curiosity. Um, you stop being silly and, and all of those things that I think most kids naturally have. That's, that's what adultitis is. And, uh, Unfortunately, there's a thing we call a juvenile adultitis because I feel like it's getting younger and younger. You don't actually be an adult. Like these kids have so much pressure between their their academics and their traveling teams. And I mean, I have I know uh, some kids who are sophomores in high school and they're already thinking about college visits. And I'm like, how are how are you supposed to know what you want to do for the rest of your life now with something that's such a big investment as as college? I just and, and there's just so much pressure on, on these kids that I see the adultitis setting in uh, earlier and earlier. I started thinking about college um, about three minutes after my mom and dad dropped me off in my dorm room, wondering, <laughs> what am I doing down here? Where's the right. washing machine? Where do I eat? So uh, I know the plans that our children have these days for their futures were not the ones I had. And I, I think there's something beautiful about living a little bit more passionately in the moment and doing things not as a resume builder, but because you're passionate about it. And I, I worry a bit that our kids are becoming so forward thinking, which is a gift, clearly. Yeah. But in doing so, they may be giving up and trading the best of their years for a, a future that they may not even be passionate about. Yeah, it's 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 frustrating. Uh, one of the things that um, Kim and I are blessed to do is to be able to homeschool our kids and one of the things that we're really huge on is letting them have their childhood and letting them pursue the things they're interested in. It's amazing how quickly they learn things when it's relevant to them and when they're interested in it. And I think that's one of the, the faults of our current system is it takes so long. I mean, I remember like college, I was so excited for college because I finally got to take classes I was interested in. Mm-hmm. I had a few art classes in high school and then of course, and then I went to a, a community college and that was mostly gen eds is a few art classes but finally i'm you know 18 years old and i finally get to do what i'd always wanted to do since i was third grade and i think that's that's problematic because then you have all this pressure on you and you don't you haven't had a chance to explore what you're interested in and that's one of the things that kim and i try to do with our kids is give them a lot of white space to explore their interests and um pursue just to see where it, where it leads. And, um, it's, it's amazing how many different quote unquote subjects get taught and learned when someone, when they're, they're pursuing something they're interested in. That's awesome. And so that seems like for we parents in the room or we aunts and uncles and godparents, what a great exercise to provide that space for the kids that we are raising and loving and teaching. What would you say to the rest of us listening right now that recognize and are in the mirror that we have adultitis, that we've lost a little bit of that buzz, that joy, that vibrancy, that playfulness, that curiosity, that 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 smirk and grin that's that used to always be on our face. How do how do we return to that? Well, I think it, part 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 of it is to is to get around people who are who have the kind of life that you want. You know, like they they always say like who you are is is the books you read and the people you spend time with. So that's a that's a big one, and that's one of the the coolest things I've found about what the work Kim and I do is we've provided a place for people to land where they often feel like they're on an island and, mm-hmm. and that no one else gets it. And, you know, we've got this, we call them our merry band of adultitis fighters who, who they get a chance to be themselves. And um, that's a really powerful thing. But the, another thing that I, I've been talking about a lot lately is this idea of a, a tinker project. Mm-hmm. 
And a tinker project is basically when you give yourself permission to do that thing that's been gnawing at you, kind of tugging at you, like maybe something you haven't done since high school or grade school, uh, something you maybe you want to take a class on, you want to try something or experiment with something. And it's usually as adults, when we, when we have adultitis, we, we look for the reason. Like, why would I do that? Right. Am I going to make more money? Is it going to help me be a better leader? And if we can't think of the reason, we just we say, oh, that's foolish, it's frivolous. But sometimes our heart has reasons for doing things that take a while for our head to understand. Mm -hmm. And so by giving yourself permission to experiment with something that even just for fun, just to see where it leads, that can rekindle some of that natural curiosity and playfulness. And it's amazing what can come of it that you didn't anticipate um, when you first began. Want to know for you, 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 you know, you mentioned ideas like uh, ballroom dancing and other things that you've always been curious about, but eh, busy. It doesn't really advance the agenda, so I'll never do it. For right. you, it's, it's art. And you went through, some, you know, not a terribly dark period, but you went through a period where you just stopped creating art. And then you got back into tinkering. Tinkering, do you remember the definition that you've shared before in, uh, in, in your book and in some of your other work? What is it, what's, generally speaking, what's the definition of tinkering for our listeners right now? Yeah, it's basically like to um, work with or repair, uh, work on something in an unskilled or experimental ma manner. And th those two words are the key is unskilled and experimental, because I think of little kids when they're learning how to walk or ride a bike, they, they don't nail it the first time and they don't seem to have a problem with it. They just keep working. But we adults... We get so serious that we think we got to be perfect at something on our first try, and so we don't even do it because we're afraid of looking silly. So um, that's what we need to get back to is that willingness to, to try and experiment with things and not put so much pressure on the outcome because, um, you know, someone told me once, I love this, is that, that just because you fail doesn't make you a failure, you know? Mm -hmm. makes you human. That's how you grow. So that's that's what tinkering is, and it's, it's a thing that I think we can all – get better at, whether we want to be a better parent, a better student, a better leader, uh, have a better business, you, you try things, experiment. They might not work, but you, they might lead to things that are they're pretty big breakthroughs. For, for those who are part of organizations, I think we understand what tinkering might do for us at home. Like, for instance, uh, after reading some of your work, I, I've made a commitment. I, hopefully my wife won't hear this because it's our Christmas present. But I'm gonna I'm gonna take her on eight ballroom dancing lessons. Uh -huh. So that's uh, it's something we've talked about it for a while. I like to dance. I'm brutal at it in the most negative <laughs> of, of sense of the word brutal. Like look it up and then make it worse. That's me as a ballroom dancer. But I just think it'd be a blast to dance with my wife with no agenda at all. We're not getting ready yeah. for anything. We just want to have fun. Yeah, so th that's gonna be a little gift that I give her. I so I that's get cool. what your idea is for tinkering individually. Tell me what that means for the listeners though who are part of a larger organization or they work in a school system or they are at a hospital or they're a, a HR director, how, how do we tinker in the monotony and the busyness of the the communities where we're doing more and more and more with less and less and less? And now we have Jason coming on saying, you should spend time tinkering. How do yeah, we do that? Okay. Well, you know, there are so many different ways. It's hard to address uh, all the possibilities. But let me give you an example that I came across that I really love. And it was a, a children's hospital in Florida. And there was a really big um, uh, viral thing that happened where they had these, uh, they had Spider-Man wash their windows. Uh, it was one of these hospitals that has all these, the whole place is glass. 
And they had in the budget that they have twice a year, they had to wash the windows. And someone came up with the idea of renting a couple Spider-Man costumes and mm. asking the window washer guys if they would be willing to wear them. And they did. And through that, they generated millions of dollars of free publicity because it just took off. And there were all these these me, me, uh, media people and great stories from it. And to me, I, I look at that and I'm like, that didn't require board approval. That didn't, you know, that was what, a couple hundred bucks for a Halloween costumes and asking. That's That's tinkering, you know? Now, maybe it wouldn't have been that big of a deal, but it, it doesn't really hurt anything to try. Um, I don't know how much they do it anymore, but Google was famous for giving their employees a small portion of their work time to work on side projects. And I'm pretty sure like Gmail came out of that, that that was like an, a, a little side project that someone came up with that now is a big, huge chunk of what they do. But um, I think that's part of it is like just, Try little things. Take you know that that's what I love about it is is in order to grow in business you have to be innovating. Yes. But you don't have to bet the farm on everything. That's where it gets scary is when you're like, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? We gotta we gotta do this whole thing. Is if you try a lot of little things, that can open the door to things that are bigger and safer bets because you've experimented a little bit. So, um, I think that's that's the key is giving yourself permission to try the try little things and see where they lead because you just never know well something else you've written quite a bit about is the courage to take that first step you know i think we get a little worried well how do we get spiderman up there on the on the on the window walk and like we get all bent out of shape but the the first step uh anybody got a 30 dollars so we can buy this halloween costume and, and right. there you go anybody fit in this anymore now you've got it isolated down to two people that could still fit in the child size spider-man <laughs> outfit and you get them up there and they start washing windows and it goes viral and that's that's a great story by the way yeah you, you also watched a movie i know you watched it a couple times i think it's called we bought the zoo is that true yeah yeah we the, bought a zoo yeah there's a line at the end that i've heard you share a couple times now jason what what is that quote that you uh that you love so much well, it comes from uh, Matt Damon's character, and he's telling his son that that every once in a while you just need to have twenty seconds of embarrassing bravery, um, just you know, twenty seconds of insane courage, and I promise you something good will come of it. And the reason that resonated with me is because, as I shared, I I grew up idolizing Han Solo and Indiana Jones and Batman and Superman, but in real life, I was nothing like that. Um, but it, it occurred to me that you. In order to have a great life, you don't have to be brave all the time. You don't have to be Indiana Jones in your everyday life. But if you can be brave or courageous 20 seconds here and there, that can make a big difference. And um, for whatever reason, that just resonated with me. Mm -hmm. I love sharing that with people um, because I think people think that in order to live a remarkable life that you have to be someone special in terms of superhuman, you know, like I said, like, like Indiana Jones, just jump into anything and do anything and go anywhere. And it's just, it's, it's not that it's a few key moments in our life where we just are willing to take that step, take that first step and, and be embarrassingly brave for 20 seconds and then, and then just see what happens. You had an opportunity in Toronto to be um, boldly brave. You see the Stanley Cup. You know, this is Lord Stanley Cup. And I recognize some of our listeners have no idea what I'm talking about here, but it's the ultimate, ultimate trophy given out to the best NHL team once a year. Uh, it's an awesome trophy, man. And you see mm -hmm. this thing and here's your chance to to 
take your own medicine and to get your picture with Lord Stanley Cup. Take us forward from that moment. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up, John. It's great. It's great. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, no, setting, I to- brother, I'm setting you up for success here. Okay. Yeah. Well, no, I totally, I totally failed on that one because uh, I think just adultitis kind of got in my head in that moment. And again, I'm still, and I, I share that story a lot with people and they kind of are surprised that the speaker would share a story where they failed and there isn't this like, oh my gosh, and then you turn it around right. and you're awesome. Like, but no, I, I like adultitis gets in my head and I was thinking, well, I don't, is that really the Stanley Cup? I don't, it's, it's a parking garage. Why would yes. it be here? That doesn't make sense. And I didn't know what the rules are. Like, can regular people get their picture taken? I, if they say, no, you can't, then I'll look like an idiot. And I just, adultitis just got in my head. And then as soon as I walked into the rental car place, it, I realized my mistake that there was a banner behind the the, the um, counter. It said, welcome to Enterprise, official rental car of the NHL. And the two people that I saw getting their picture taken were the employees of the rental car place. And I'm like, oh, it was the Stanley Cup. Yes, I could have gotten my picture taken. That would have been there, right there, 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery mm-hmm. that maybe they'd say no. And what? If they say no, I don't have a picture of me and Stanley on my phone. Right. That's exactly what I want, ended up with anyway. So... Uh, yeah, that was a that was a rough one. Um, but I tried to I tried to make something good come out of it. As a, as a speaker, you know, John, that anytime something bad happens in your life, there's there's a sick, twisted part of you that's like, this could be a good story someday. Um, and uh, I, I was like, I need to I need something good to come out of this. So I I actually made a painting of the Stanley Cup and I put Remember Stanley in there. And I, I was hoping that the act of making it would burn in my head that experience and that disappointment in myself so that the next time I had that chance that I would I would do it. I would go for it. Um, of course, when you do that, then you got to be ready because then a couple months later, I, I was writing, working on a book. I was in Milwaukee, kind of like a writing retreat. And uh, I had this idea of, you know, going to a coffee shop to uh, to write. I had written in the hotel room. I needed to change the scenery. I'm like, oh, I'm looking on the TripAdvisor. I'm looking for where would be a good coffee shop, and uh, which is fine, except I'm on it for 30 minutes, and I realize I don't, I don't even drink coffee. Why do I even care? Right. And then I have this moment of like, oh, maybe you should try coffee today. That would be a really good story. Maybe that, you know, I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. And then believe it or not, adultitis sets in over trying coffee. And <laughs> it's like stuff like this. It's like, okay, all right, buddy, you have tried coffee before. You think it's gross. All of a sudden, magically today, you're going to love it. That doesn't make a lot of sense. And have you ever been to these these fancy coffee places? You're going to spend $18 for a cup of coffee that you know you're not going to like. You're stealing money from your children. You should just burn your wallet right now. Like This just escalates to a ridiculous nature. And then finally, remember Stanley popped in my head. The voice stopped, and I'm like, I'm doing it. So I get to the coffee shop, I get all set up, and I'm all brave, but then it kind of like totally obliterates because then I try to read this menu, and I'm like, I don't know what any of these words are, I don't know what a flappuccino is, and and so I basically explain to the, the barista that I'm a, a coffee virgin, and I need some help, I need a good gateway beverage, and uh, so she gives me this this mocha and you know i'm all i'm all okay we're gonna do it and then and i try it and of course i i love it it's awesome turns me into a coffee drinker uh, and and i i share that with people and I, i'm always like joking of like oh wow this guy is so brave he tried yes. coffee for the first time um but like to me that's the point like 
living a better life isn't about jumping out of planes or deep sea diving with great white sharks. It's about those little, little moments of bravery, those things that are new to you, even if they're not new to literally anyone else that are just on the outside of that comfort zone. And, and, um, you know, going up to, to talk to a barista and, and admit that I don't even know what the Mm -hmm. heck I'm ordering. Like it's a, it's a very minor thing, but I think people can relate to that. It's just, that's what adultitis is, is those little self-conscious things that we have of, we don't want to look foolish or silly. And and so it just really limits uh, our potential. And um, yeah, so that's, that's my story with that. So I guess, I guess it did end up pretty good, but I still have a lot of people that come up to me to show me their picture of them and it's the Stanley Cup on their phone. So well, yeah, I don't know if that's meant to be encouraging. It's it encouraging. Like it, but but well, yeah. So And I asked the question only because I think the story is so connective back to the issues we all face every day in our lives, whether to stand up or to stay in the background, whether to raise our hand or to keep the arms crossed, whether to vote or to stay yeah. at home passively indifferent. And I, I think the idea that you're teaching us is, man, you got to show up. You you, you got to participate in order to uh, in order to get the credit and to make an impact in your world. Yeah. So remember Stanley. When I, when I heard you share that story through a different uh, conversation, I, I wrote it down. I just think it's it is an awesome reminder. It certainly touched my heart. Thank you. I appreciate that. You uh you have a pretty cool newsletter that I also follow. Why don't you talk about Escape Adulthood Insiders? Yeah. So what. It's basically once a week, I, I joke, I don't know that I mentioned this yet, but I joke that, yeah, I'm an artist, author, and speaker, but what I really am is a professional reminderer. Um, I'm reminding people of stuff that they knew when they were kids, maybe things they haven't thought of in a while. So basically, once a week, I write a letter, and it's it's a reminder of these sorts of things, and it, it's things to think about, ideas to try sometimes. Um, and it usually has a new piece of artwork that I've been working on and the story behind it. There's uh, Every week there's a, a comic strip from my old comic strip that I used to do. Um, and it's basically a, a dose of happiness, you know. It's like mm-hmm. it's like a little inspiration, just like the stuff you send out. And um, it, it, it's just, it's really cool. We have people, you know, all over the world that are a part of it. And um, it's it's totally free, and then insiders who are a part of it, they have access to the Adultitis Fighter Arsenal, which is a whole vault of resources we have and downloads of some of our best adultitis fighting tips. We have an ebook called Cupid versus Adultitis, which is for people who want to bring some fun back into their relationship. Maybe it's gotten a little stale. We've got different things for people in business and parents and stuff and and so that's all it's all free as part of our our insiders and of course they get all the the first dibs on all the new fun things we come out with so um yeah that's that's uh something we're really proud of and really excited about and and something we focus a lot on it really is great stuff and the questions that you encourage us to ask you know i I think the best teachers ask questions rather than providing answers And, and i find you asking a whole lot of really good questions through this uh this content I'll have a link to all of this on our Live Inspired channel and through com. So I just encourage our folks to go roll your fingers over to com right now. Check out the Live Inspired podcast with Jason Kataki, and you, you're going to love, you are going to love the insider stuff. So uh, check it out. Jason, when you speak, when you paint, and I recognize that's two different um, crafts that you're utilizing, but at the end of the day, what are you hoping people receive when they have an encounter with you? Um, 
You know, I think as as I have gotten older, um, it it's it becomes simpler, uh, especially with my art. I would say I I just like making people happy. Um, I feel like there's just enough doom and gloom in the world, and I like I like to make people smile. I like to, and then I like to make people think. Um, so I guess it's a two prong thing because if I just like to make people happy, I'd I'd be a stand up comedian or something like that. But um, I, you know, I love it when people look at my art and they smile and they drag their friend over to come look at it, or or in my speeches when they laugh at a story. And you know, a lot of times I'm I'm a opening keynote or a closer keynote where there's a there's a it's a conference and there's a lot of dry content, a lot of stuff that they have mm-hmm. to talk about and um, stuff that's just required. And to be able to have something that kind of takes them away from that for a little bit, helps them to look at the bigger picture. Um, that that's my favorite thing. Um, when something that I write or or uh, draw or, or do makes someone change something about their life, mm-hmm. even in a real small way, like some of my best emails are people that that tell me something that they did differently with their kid or their spouse. Like the silliest thing ever. I I talk about. Uh, my last book is uh, Penguins Can't Fly, and it, it's about the, the rules that don't exist that we live by. And one of them that I joke is the most controversial one is that um, anyone who's married or has been in a relationship for, for a long time, if I suggest that tonight, if you try something a little bit different in bed, like swap sides, oh, that freaks people out. They're like, oh my gosh, I have my side of the bed, and they got all freaked out about it. But I got an email from someone who she said her and her husband – did that after hearing me and she said they were laughing and giggling for a half hour at how ridiculous it was and how weird it felt to be sleeping on the other side and she didn't really go into any details but in my head I imagine like what if they were what if they were in a rut what if they were in one of those spots where they're just kind of like going through the motions and this little thing instigated them to remind them of how much fun they had when they first started dating like to me that's where it's at. Like if I can just do one little thing that gets people to laugh, gets people to think and maybe change something, nothing makes me happier or more fulfilled. That is an awesome story. And I will be sleeping on the left side of the bed tonight, <laughs> brother, because of you. So I appreciate that you, uh, you I hope really mixing things up she for John and Beth O'Leary. <laughs> it's time. It is time for us to break that those binds. So here we go. Brother, we we on this podcast ask seven questions of every one of our guests, and we're delighted to have you on. But I want to ask you and take you through the Live Inspired Seven. I'm ready. All right. So, uh, Jason, Kentucky, what is the best book you have ever read? Uh, aside from the obligatory Bible, which I think is it's sort of like Wheel of Fortune, you know, like the R-S-T-L-N-E. Like yes. the, okay, we'll just put that off to the By side. Vowel and E. Right. Um, so beyond that, I, the one that really sticks out to me is called um, The Path. Uh, and it's by a woman named Lori Beth Jones. And it is basically about creating a mission statement for your life. And I read that when I was a senior in college. And it, it was so fundamentally huge for me. It, got, it gave me the idea that our mission in life is not necessarily about a specific job right. or even a role. Like your mission in life is not to be a mom. Your mission in life is not to be an artist necessarily, right? Um, and so I still have my mission statement that I wrote out when I was a senior in high school or college. It still sticks with me. Um, and I recommend it to anyone who's kind of trying to figure out what are they supposed to do in their life because it gives you the 
the bigger picture things to think about that whether I was 18 years old or when I'm 88, my mission statement will still be relevant regardless of what my role is. So mm. um, the path, that, that's a good one. Great answer. What, what is one positive characteristic, one trait that you possessed as a child that you wish you exhibited as brightly today? You know, this is a this is a tough one to admit, but it's it's true because I think like I like I've already said, like I, I struggle with adultitis just as much as anyone, and that's part of the reason why I do what I do is is to keep myself accountable. Mm-hmm. But I think when I was little I was I was like off the charts dreamer. Um, you know, anything was possible, always imaginative. And I think I still have that, but I think I'm I'm a little bit more cynic- cynical. I think that the bumps and bruises of life along the way, kind of like just the adultitis, you know, you question like, oh, is that really going to work? Is mm-hmm. that worth it? And I wish I had that that unadulterated, unfiltered dreamer mentality um, still. Um, like I said, it's still there. I still get excited. I still think big things. But I don't think it, it's nearly as bright as it was when I was, was little. So that's something I'm always always trying to get back to, I think, is that, um, that mentality. So just yesterday afternoon, I happened to be in Washington, D.C., rush hour. It is crazy. We're barely <sighs> moving along. And I looked to my right out the cab window, and there was a gentleman, mid-70, early 70s maybe, but leaving work, and you could just see on him, beat down, man. Life mm. had beat him down. He's kind of stumbling up a hill, and he's talking out loud to himself. <laughs> but but not like, not odd, just kind of like the way someone may debrief with themselves after another tough day, walking yeah. uphill after work on their way home and maybe home's lonely. Mm-hmm. So uh, as, as you see guys like this, and as you look in the mirror and sometimes see one staring back at you, wh- what advice, and this is not the Live Inspired Eight, but what advice would you have to breathe a little bit of that joyful vibrancy back into your mind, back into his mind, back into our lives. So what, what, what advice would you give us? Uh, that's a tough, you know, just off the top of my mind, I would say, think back to something you used to do as a kid that you used to love. And I mean, it could be something so stupid. Like when I was a little kid, I used to collect baseball cards and I don't remember the last time that I bought a back pack of baseball cards, but like something like that, or going to a candy shop, and giving yourself permission to spend 10 bucks on your favorite candy. I mean, my Kim and I did that one year. We, we were traveling and we just went to an old fashioned candy shop and we gave ourselves a budget of 10 bucks, which, which goes pretty far when you, you're just buying like little pieces here and there. And I, it was like I was five years old again. I'm like, oh, I love that one. Oh my gosh, I love that one. And then you got your little bag of candy and you go home and you eat the whole thing. Like whatever it is, it, you really, it doesn't cost a lot of money, but I think like there's a lot of magic and looking back to something that gave you joy. Maybe it's watching Scooby-Doo cartoons, maybe, you know, whatever it is, that's something that can be just a little breather, a little breath of fresh air to kind of get the cobwebs of adultitis out of there. That's awesome. So uh, if your home caught fire and your bride, Miss Kim, and the babies are all out safe, the animals are all out safe, and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item. What what's the one item you would run in and grab? <sighs> I my practical side would probably say the laptop or my computer because that you know that's 
you're it's like the extension of you you know but I, but everything is in the cloud so i don't know that it'd, it'd be i'd probably i'd probably pull a couple one or two paintings off the wall some of the originals that mean something to me that that might be what i'd i'd probably grab i think um i have one that i did for my daughter that is hanging over our piano that she gets to take with her when she when she leaves someday and uh so maybe that one and there's there's a couple other ones that are kind of special that that we don't want to part with uh, and don't want to sell that I, I might try to to grab, I suppose. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach or a mountain range, depending on your preference, and have a really nice long conversation with anyone living or dead, who would you want to have that nice long visit with? Mm. Um, you know, I thought I've been thinking about this, and I I don't the heart. I think for me, and this is going to sound so. This is gonna sound so cheesy and so like oh he's just trying to get points but like I would say my wife like I she's just my best friend and I can't imagine like if I like we could talk about nothing we could talk about anything I like if I was gonna be stranded somewhere or looking at something beautiful I would just want to be there with her um, and I I you know I I could say someone like Walt Disney he might be up there you know like there'd mm -hmm. be cool people I'd like to talk to but. Um, if it was just really one person, it would it would be her. You know, the first time anyone shared their spouse was probably 35 or 40 episodes in. Okay. And now it's something we've heard. You are our fourth guest to share this, which is pretty remarkable. And huh. at the end of the day, I mean, who better? Uh, you yeah, know, I, mean, well, I, I wish my answer was as creative when if someone had asked me that instead of uh, picking someone from the pages of history. Why not pick the person that you're doing life with and uh, get to know that person even better and let them get to know a little bit of you that they don't even know yet? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that, we definitely that still happens. I mean, we've we've been married for 18 years. I know some people have been much longer, but we certainly still learning learn stuff about each other. So, uh, yeah. What's the best advice that Kim or Walt Disney or anyone else has ever given you? You know, I think there's a really famous quote i don't it might be oscar wilde but don't quote me on that um it said be be yourself everyone else is taken mm -hmm. and i think anything around that line i mean it seems like such a trite sort of thing but i i've kind of finally gotten to the point where i realize how magical that is um as a speaker i'm sure you can relate to this like you know you you try to create a brand you try to create something that stands out and there's a lot of people who are doing amazing things that are easy to emulate but if you figure out what your special thing is and you just be you, it's like unreplicable. Mm -hmm. Like it, it just stands out. Like if you try to be like anyone else, you're always going to be a second rate version of that. But if you just be yourself, there's just a magic there. And I, I realized with the combination of my art and my speaking and my writing, I always kind of looked at them as separate talents. And when I finally figured out that they were all part of me, and if I could make them work together instead mm -hmm. of looking at them as separate talents, that that could create something that is really remarkable and stands out. And not only in a marketing sort of way from a business perspective, which is good, but in a fulfillment sort of way. That's right. I think when you tap into that, you're, you're at peace, you're fulfilled, you're happy, you're, it's, it's, it's magic. And it all boils down to that being yourself but we i think we just get caught up thinking like ourself isn't good enough and what maybe what like you said at the very beginning we get 
take for granted the stuff we're good at, so we don't really think it's all that special. And so it really takes a long time to get back to the stuff we were originally good at in the first place and just owning it. Jason, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? Uh, I would tell my 20-year-old self, don't worry so much. Like, because when I was 20, I was, you know, big dreamer. And I wouldn't want to do anything. I wouldn't want to be like, oh, it's going to be harder than you think or anything mm. like that. <laughs> like, I would say, I would say uh, it's going to be different than you think, but it's going to be way better than you think. So just keep at it and don't worry about it. Don't worry that you're going to fail. Don't worry that it's not going to work. Just, just stay persistent and understand that it's going to look different, but it's going to look even better than you can imagine. Mm. It has been said, Jason, that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. What would you like your one sentence to say about you? Hmm. I, th- I think I, th- I think that one of the taglines we have for our, our company sums it up pretty good, is the, the idea of um, don't settle for the life you've been told to live. Create the one you were made for. And I think... That sort of sums it up. Everything I talk about is about being the person you were created to be, that you are beautiful and wonderfully made, and you have such amazing things to offer the world that don't listen to the naysayers, don't listen to the rules that don't exist, don't listen to adultitis. You're meant for something amazing, and go after that. Like that, that would be something that I think I have tried to do, I'm still trying to do, Um, And if I could have that be a sentence that is associated with my life, that would be pretty rad. Well, Jason Kataki, wife, uh, Kim, co-artist together. You're a father. You're an artist. You are a phenomenal speaker and writer and friend. And you are reminding the rest of us every day to not settle for the life we've been told to live, but instead to live into the amazing one that we were made for. So I I appreciate you spending a, a little bit of your day with us today. It has been my pleasure, John. Thank you so much for having me. My friends, that is Jason Kataki. I am John O'Leary, and today is your day. Live the amazing life that you are made for and live inspired.